Hi, everyone. This is Dawn Richard, also known as The Awakening with Dawn. And this is the Wake Up to Real Love podcast, where we share stories of struggles and triumphs in love, sex, and relationships, along with expert advice to create more conscious connections. I am super, super excited today to have my uh, guest on. We already had a little pre-introduction introduction earlier in the week and I was just like flying all these questions and thoughts and things were coming into my head because this man does great great important work in the world uh, in the world of men and therefore in the world of relationships so Tyson Adams he is a men's coach who helps his clients outgrow their unwanted pornography and sexual addictions through shadow work Now approaching three years of being addiction-free, he's developed a somatic process and philosophy for men to break through and overcome their own habits. For those women out there who have an intimate relationship with a male loved one that struggles with pornography or sexual addiction, this episode will help you breach the topic with them so that you may return to connection and union again. I'm so excited that you're here. Welcome, Tyson Adams. Uh, Thank you for having me, Don. I'm very excited as well. Woohoo! So, okay, I just told you before we dive in, because I know we're going to talk about so much deep and meaningful stuff. Um, I just wanted to ask you about your affinity and why you risk your life rock climbing. <laughs> rock climbing? Oh, man. Wow. Great question. Um, I've been climbing actually for 12 years. and I know. Uh, that's crazy to me. <laughs> yeah, my first my first trip uh, to Southeast Asia, I went to Thailand and climbed and uh, we did some deep water soloing where you climb out of the ocean and you climb up a rope and then you basically climb without gear and then you, you know, go up about 60 feet and then just jump into the ocean. And what? That was, yeah, that was one of my favorite things and it really kind of uh, brought me to a place of appreciating the sport and taking it to the next level, so... Are you, you like an adrenaline junkie? <laughs> not so much, but uh, I I climb very safely. So everything I do is, is safe and calculated and good equipment and helmets and all that kind of stuff. But I love it. It's my it's my hobby, my sport, my passion, my how I stay in shape. It's mental, emotional, spiritual, physical, everything. So, how do you how do you feel when you like the like the video that you shared you know on your Facebook page the other day how do you feel when you were at the top uh I feel accomplished it wasn't actually too physically draining because the route wasn't too hard but uh-huh. when you begin to repel it can definitely create quite a bit of butterflies because you're just looking you know a thousand feet down and it's 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 a little unnerving to say the least. <laughs> well, I I also saw that you started surfing. I know your your partner is a big surfer, right? <clears throat> Absolutely, yeah. So I I wondered about because I used to date a surfer a long long time ago, and he said when you're when you're in the in the water, it's like uh-huh. you're facing your own mortality every single wave that comes. And so I wondered yeah. if that was the same with rock climbing. Yeah, actually, surfing to me is scarier than um, rock climbing at this point. It's much more dangerous uh, for me. Just when the water takes you under and holds you down, it's really uh, you have to completely surrender. Um, whereas with rock climbing, it's more calculated, and when you fall, you know you're going to fall before you fall. So uh-huh. it's not as scary. Surfing's definitely on my edge for sure. <laughs> but there but there's this whole el- element and I'm guessing 
trusting trust, trusting yes. yourself, trusting the people you're around, trusting in nature. I mean, mm-hmm. that, I, surrender and trust have been two huge words for me the last few years. So what yeah. about you? Yeah, no, there's so much trust that's required and you have to just let go. And, uh, and, and the concept of trust when you're on the waves or on the rocks is you're one with nature. And so, um, you, you, you really do. You just give yourself to it and you know that you're going to take spills and you accept that you accept that there's a degree of pain, some injuries that are going to happen and it's going to be scary. And you're going to, you're going to have to come up and be stronger each time. So it's, uh, it's quite the, quite the journey, but I love it. It's so fun. Both sports are wonderful. That's amazing. One day I will have the guts to go try it. (laughs) Okay. So, so speaking of surrender and trust, I mean, I, I also saw um, that you took a bunch of guys to Joshua tree and um, you know, as part of your men's work. And so I wondered how, like, what do you get out of, um, out of being bonding with these men and work, you know, I mean, you had this fire circle the other night you had this, you know, you took these men out to Joshua Tree. It's so important to bring these men together so that they can learn to surrender and trust to themselves and each other, huh? Yeah, yeah. So about um, three years ago, I moved to San Diego. And uh, when I moved out here um, with actually Mark, who you know, we um, formed a, a men's group with some other men here in San Diego. And uh, we've been meeting monthly uh, for three years. And the benefits of that exponential in so many different ways. Um, that particular men's group is a Socratic men's group. So it's actually um, uh, structured off of Benjamin Franklin. He started the first what's called a junto um, or junto. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what it is, is it's a, it's a Socratic men's circle where we get together and we each um, uh, bring a topic. But actually, we do two topics per meeting. So two men pre-prepare a topic and that topic could be anything from politics to God, to pornography, to spirituality, to a quote or some challenge that a person's facing. And then we preload that with information, whether that's Ted talks or other type of resources. And so when we come into that setting, we actually have already learned a lot about that particular topic. And then we, mm-hmm. we dive in and everybody gets an opportunity to uh, share. And we have kind of a central question that we're working towards. Um, and so that is one group that um, I've been a part of for three years. And then on the sort of flip side to that is doing the deep men's work, the emotional work, the other sort of um, uh, therapeutic somatic type work. So I do uh, men's uh, intensives where I'll go and go for a week or for a a long weekend and dive really deep with men that either I do know or or complete strangers and we go really head first in. And you come out of that with, um, in most cases, uh, a a new team different resting place for yourself and in your system moving through a lot of rage or trauma or sadness or shame so those two groups are relatively separate and then now mark and i were actually leading our own groups um where we're actually leading men through these types of processes and taking them um up into the mountains and doing weekend long experiences and that sort of thing so i have 
quite a few different men's related things that I'm a part of. And, and then in addition to that, I also see my own private clients helping them, um, as I mentioned, to, uh, for the most part, outgrow their, their pornography and their sexual addictions, but then I'm beginning to transition a little bit and working also with men that, um, and entrepreneurs, and this will also extend to women who are going through entrepreneurial burnout or mm-hmm. just burnout as, as a whole. So yeah, yeah because, so that, because you, you have so like, you have so many things, like so many pots that you're trying to manage. I mean, just in doing some research about you, I was like, what can this guy not do? so how did i mean how did you go from this huge coffee um venture in laos to doing this men's work yeah i mean i think really it it comes down to uh, painful relationships Uh i think that the one thing that uh, i would say is if 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 you are a man out there or if you are a woman who has um a relationship or intimate partnership with a man who struggles with relationship in particular and specifically intimate relationship or sexual or sexuality. Mm-hmm. I think that that's a very good indicator that doing some deeper men's work is, is, is necessary and, or is, is, is crucial. Now, does that mean that men's work and doing this deeper work is for everybody? I would say, no, that's not the case. Um, you have to be ready for it. You have to be longing for it. But for me, it was coming out of a relationship that was broken and messy and there was a lot of struggle and strife. And so I left Southeast Asia and went directly into a, um, a men's, a men's intensive, a week long men's intensive, which really broke me open to this type of work. And from there, I've just kind of traversed that been working with my therapist and coach weekly for three years almost now. So, um, can't say enough about it. It's just super important. And, uh, I think we need to release the stigma of, of working with somebody, uh, on the regular and then doing these intensive to really break through and have those big cathartic releases that, that all men and people are carrying in their day-to-day lives. So how did it break you open? <laughs> well, I'll give you a, I'll give you a, how do I say this? A brief look into what it could look like. Okay. Um, so the, 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 work, the work that I've done and with the practitioners that I've worked with, they do gestalt therapy. So gestalts are really interesting in the sense that you have two chairs or two cushions and you're on one and whomever is across from you. It could be your mother, your father, or a younger version of yourself. It could be um, an ailment that you're facing. It could be money. It could be whatever it is. And so through sentence stems that the practitioner or the therapist offers, you have a conversation, and then you go and you flip and you take on the opposing viewpoint of the other person, and then you're speaking from their point of view back to yourself. And what it allows is you begin to create a dialogue with the parts of yourself that um, are in you and it's, it's effectively parts work. Um, you're shadow work. Yeah. Shadow work. You're familiar with this, with your family systems and all that. So it's, it's one of those things where when you develop a relationship with the different parts of ourselves, the different voices, we realize that we're none of those, but often people, including myself, 
we will go through life and we'll live life and we'll be fused with one particular or just a few particular voices that are inside of us. And um, when you develop a relationship with those, then you can unfuse from that and you can begin to relate to those voices instead of being fused and controlled by them. Mm-hmm. And often what we find, at least from my own experience in myself and then working with other men, is that um, the, the, the critic, the, the shame, the, the, you know, whatever that's in there that we're facing is often a voice that resembles somebody of our past or right. society or whatever. And so that's... Who the, the, said that to you? Where did you hear that message from? Precisely, precisely. And, um, and, and this type of Gestalt type work often erupts into a lot of emotional charge, whether that be anger, rage, shame, lots of tears, emotional releases. And, um, and so it's very different than a cognitive therapeutic process where you're sitting across from a therapist for months or years, and maybe you've touched a couple tears here and there. This will get you in deep and out and your, your system just resets and you you can go on and live your life in a different state of being. It's it's basically like, you know, what messages are you care have you been carrying with you your whole life? I mean, you said they're they're not they're not you. I mean, they're a part of you. They're a part of your identity and it's like, do you like the messages that you're receiving? Do you like the messages that you're telling yourself? And that's why I think this is so powerful because it's like um, you know, you get people who either had not great parenting or had whatever traumatic events that affected them in certain ways. And it's like, how do you want to redefine yourself? You know, who do you want to be? And this is, these are great ways to like figure out how to redefine yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And then in that process of redefining yourself, you realize that, um, the, the the grudges and the and the challenges that you're holding against those that may or may not have harmed you throughout the journey allows for you to really see them in their own infancy and in their own childhood and to really develop an extended degree of grace towards their own journeys and and really stepping back from that and being able to to see that the holding that energy in doesn't do anything other than to, to keep you distanced from, from the, from the healing process and from that forgiveness process. Um, But a lot of people in our culture, whether it's religious or otherwise, you know, we're taught to forgive, but often we're, we're prematurely forgiving before we've done the therapeutic work to release the energy. And so we're not capable of really forgiving. And so then we hold a lot of passive aggression or direct aggression towards um, an individual or a person and that doesn't serve us. So it's, you got to do that inner work, release that shame, that guilt, that, that, that trauma. And then from there, you can reestablish those connections with, you know, those that are in your life that, that, that you've maybe struggled with in the past. Well, and I think it's so important Tyson, because, you know, when you, when you carry all that stuff within yourself, that's part of you not having compassion, understanding, acceptance and love for yourself. And so when you're not caring it for yourself, it's very hard to extend it to somebody else. And that's, and that's why, you know, the work that you're doing, because I think a lot of, um, a lot of men and women, people in general that hold 
um, these feelings of shame and judgment and criticism, it's because they don't have that understanding, acceptance, self-love. Um, so this, I know that this is important uh, part of your work is about overcoming all of those bad feelings and ill feelings towards yourself to really uh, integrate all of who you are. Sure. Yeah. And I think what, what comes up for me in that is, is um, this concept of shadow or shadow work is being thrown around a lot. And that, you know, came from Carl Jung. And so Mm -hmm. I think that my therapist and his business partner, they, they say it really beautifully. They say that, that shadow is kind of like the moon, the dark side of the moon. It's anything that we either don't know about ourselves or we've rejected in ourselves. And so often shame um, is the thing that we reject. And so then we stay uh, cloaked behind that shame and we are unwilling to show up for those who need us. And so what I'm realizing about myself and also helping other men to see is, is that shame's not always bad like there is obviously toxic shame where you're completely unable of getting out of bed and you really that very deep dark depression but then there's maybe a middle sort of zone which would be unhealthy shame where we're rejecting it it's in the shadow we're not willing to really process it and own our behavior exactly but then we can transmute that as we heal into a healthier version of shame where where we realize that we actually are defining our we can transmute the unhealthy into the healthy then we're in a place where when you throw a piece of paper in the bathroom and it lands on the floor and you decide that you're going to walk out you have a degree even if it's a slight degree where a little bit of shame rushes over you that somebody else is going to have to pick that up and you go and you pick it up and you throw it in the garbage and it develops this opportunity for you to have a relationship with the fact that you know, there is healthy shame. There's healthy shame that helps us to be accountable, to right. own our mistakes, to show up for our partners and to, and to, you know, to actually right the wrongs that have we've created in the past that we haven't really wanted to show up for. So that's, that's the huge part of this sort of shadow work stuff. It, the, the internet wobbled just a little bit while you were talking about um, the, the healthy shame. I mean, I'm, sure. I, I'm guessing because, um, the unhealthy, sh- the unhealthy shame and the, hi- well, the hidden shame, because you're not recognizing it's more unconscious, but it affects, obviously affects all of your behaviors and, and the, the unhealthy shame. I feel like everything in life is either, um, helpful or not helpful yes. <laughs> to whatever extreme, right? So can you just talk about the helpful and unhelpful aspects. Yes. So I think that for most men, unhealthy shame is the things that men are going to take to the grave. They've made a commitment with themselves that whatever happened to me or whatever I did is between me and myself or me and God. And therefore I'm not really going to work on that thing. I'm just going to, I'm going to die with it. I'm going to I hide. pretend wear my mask. Exactly. And so I think that what I've learned and what I've noticed as I've worked with a therapist for a long period of time is, is that once you develop 
the level of trust where the things that you thought you were going to take to the grave, you can actually share them. And there is somebody that can receive that and help you to process that and realize, oh, that behavior that you did, that that wasn't your fault. Like entirely, you, you were you were recreating something that was ultimately stored from the journey of your childhood that is either repressed or is it just hasn't been metabolized within your system. Mm-hmm. And so as I began to share the things that I thought were horrible, that I thought I would never share with anybody, I was able to be deeply released and lifted from that place of not having to carry around that burden and that, that mask that ultimately I was putting out to the world so that I could live a more authentic journey. And then it also helped men to come into that to say, hey, that thing that you did or that horrible thing that happened to you, yeah, that's okay. That I'm not, and we're not going to shame you further for that. You already are doing that within yourself and that doesn't need to happen anymore. Right. You judge and criticize yourself more than anybody else ever would. Precisely. Yeah, absolutely. And And, and uh, when, when you were talking about that, I mean, and this is, this is the thing that I think is so important because you know, when you don't talk about things, you do hold it all within you. So it affects it affects you emotionally, it affects you physically, it affects you mentally and spiritually. And when you allow your, give yourself permission to tell your truth, no matter how ugly or messy or, you know, awful you think it is, it gives you this sense of freedom. Like, you know what? I've had a lot of shit, but I'm okay. Yep. Absolutely. And the people around you feel more safe and trusting of you and your presence as well, because you've cleaned out that, that muck and, yeah. and, and that, that, that stuff that they're picking up on, whether that's a, a closet pornography addiction or an alcoholism or whatever is there in your system, the world, as they interact with you, they're, they're feeling that energy. They're feeling that in your, in your, in your energy, in your auric field, in your, in, you know, in your emotional body, in your language patterns. And even in your eyes, they've proven that men that watch pornography, their actual eyes and the way that their eyes work are actually different than men that don't. So it's, really? there's, there's, yeah, that's absolutely. fascinating. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's a whole thing. And, and, and for me, having been, three years outside of pornography and outside of sexual um, unhealth effectively um, what I can sense and what I notice is that every woman, regardless of whether she's an infant or she's the oldest grandmother, I can sense that there's a, d- a degree of safety more so that they feel in my presence and a desire and an ability to connect more so than ever before um, when I wasn't in a healthy place with my sexuality and where there was a, a, a massive degree of shame that was, you know, holding me back from being, you know, free from that. So, yeah, yeah. that, that, um, I mean, my, my kids will kind of joke around, you know, I mean, they, they listen to some pretty hardcore rap and, you know, Oh mom, it's just words. And I'm like, you know what? All your words carry an energy. All those stuffed emotions carry an energy. And it's mm-hmm. like, do you want how do you want your energy to be? You know, do I mean, have you, you, did you ever see those studies by, I forget his name. Um, I don't know if it was in the secret or something, but it was of the water 
these they did these oh, studies the, where they put love Dr. You know, yeah 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 and so the love and the peace and the joy all those water molecules look like these beautiful clear pure snowflakes and the ones that said hate and racism and you know all these negative words were like brown and murky and and i it's the same within yourself yeah, that reminds me, there's a guy in my men's group who does it with his uh, students and he takes um, three jars of rice and one is love, one is all of the hate and then one they just leave alone and they just don't do anything with it. Uh-huh. And uh, the one that they give love and positive affirmations to it is perfectly white and clear. The one that's in the middle grows a little bit of mold, but the one that they throw all the bad energy gets black and moldy and disgusting and they do it every year in the school. And so obviously wow. this is, it, it works. This, this is true that energy and words, they absolutely have a vibration. Thoughts, thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. So, 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 so let's talk about sexual addiction and pornography. um, because it carries an energy, right? Really? It's it's one of those things in society that has become normalized. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. So you sent me this poem and I was blown away. And I feel like it's, I feel like every person, every person, men and women should hear this poem. Will you please share it with us? Absolutely. Yeah. I posted this to my men's group the other day um, and it sparked quite a, quite a conversation. So um, the, the title of the poem is your penis, your period, period, penis, penis period. period. Yeah. <laughs> emphasis. Yes. Emphasis there. Okay. Your penis is not the release valve on your repressed rage. Your penis is not the off switch on your shame. Your penis is not your playmate when you're bored. Your penis is not your therapist when you're sad. Your penis is not your teddy when you're lonely. Your penis is not your mother when you're sick. Your penis is not your bad boy to punish when you're out of moral integrity. Your penis is not your trainer when you feel lazy. Your penis is not your soother when you feel anxious. Your penis does not have a mind of its own. Your penis is not your means to an end. And your partner is not an extension of that means. Your penis is your end, period. May you see with laser-like clarity that the way you treat your penis is the way you treat yourself. Wow. (laughs) How did you come up with this? Where did this come from? Yeah, so this philosophy and concept came actually through a very unique way. So there's a philosopher named Immanuel Kant. Are you familiar mm-hmm. with? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So he is basically the philosopher that said, Hey, nobody should be used as a means to an end. And so that basically means if you're using somebody to get something from them, then that's not okay. And that the reality is, is the reason why we do that to other people is because we use ourselves as a means to an end as well. And so he back, I mean, this is in the, he was in Europe, but supposedly uh, Thomas Jefferson was, was friends with Immanuel Kant. And so 
there's likelihood an infusion of his philosophies that created our declaration of independence in America. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. And that was what also moved us toward, you know, if we're using slaves as a means to farming, then we're using them as a means to our own end. And that's uh -huh. selfish. And so that philosophy was what really um, created that movement in America. And so the one thing that Immanuel Kant left off on, or wh where I feel like I'm picking up with Immanuel Kant's work, is that he didn't have a he didn't have a relational partner. He didn't have a wife or anything like that. So all of his philosophies were rooted in, for the most part, the way isolationism. Isolation, work, um, what you do for your career, how you treat other people, that kind of thing. And so what I started to realize is that that you don't have to do anything other than to look at, um, how do I say this in a very clear and concise way? When we come into puberty as boys, often boys have a tremendous amount of pressure on them. Boys, you know, like we grew up in an era, boys don't cry, be cowboy tough, you know, toughen right. up, you know, suck it up. Suck it up. Don't you know, be a pussy. Don't be a pussy. All these things, right? So by the time we get to be in that, okay, we're in, in a place of masturbation, and then all the guys start talking about it in the locker rooms and things like that. When that gets to that point in time, I think what's, what happens is, is that we realize, oh, shit, we got a release valve on all of it. And so what ends up happening is, is that we actually program ourselves unknowingly to masturbate. And then therefore the ejaculation becomes the opportunity for us to, um, to get out all of that repressed emotion that we are not able to show the tears, the sadness, the shame, the rage, the anger, the, the anxiousness, uh, the, the frustration, anxiety, the, yeah. All of it. Right. And so, yeah. if a and especially if a little boy has experienced any sort of trauma, whether that be abuse, physical, emotional, or sexual, then the penis is the means to it's his, it's his means to an end. So we relate to it as separate from ourselves. We don't even think of it as a part of our bodies. We don't even think of it about it as a, um, as a part of us. We, we, it's like sexuality is just that we don't even look at our entire bodies as a, um, intimate zone. as a whole vehicle. It's exactly. just one part of the car. Exactly. And so when I started to integrate Khan's philosophies with my sort of my, my own relationship with sexuality, I realized that, yeah, pretty much if any man feels that they're horny, that like if that's what they're actually feeling and that's what they think in a moment, there's most likely there's a deeper, there's a deeper something happening. There's something deeper there. Mm -hmm. And if we can just pause for a second, then what we realize is that actually there's something that's underneath that. And that could be all of the things that we just discussed, these negative emotions. And so for a brief second, we go and we ejaculate, we masturbate, we release this, we get this euphoric experience, uh -huh. which I don't know if you know this or not, but I share it with everybody, which is when we orgasm, 
it is when we're orgasming with a partner, it's, it's a, it's a higher degree of brain activity than just masturbation. It's about four times more with a partner, mm-hmm. but with a partner, when you orgasm, it's the same as getting heroin directly right into your veins. It's the same brain activity. Huh? Interesting. Yeah. So it's very, it excites the mind and excites the body in extreme ways. And so what I, what I feel like we're kind of coming out of finally as this men's conscious movement is happening and this embodiment movement's happening and healthy masculinity is coming into places. Men are starting to understand that these pornography addictions and sexual addictions and these ejaculation addictions are the mechanism whereby which we're bypassing our emotional bodies. You're, and you're, we get you're a, avoiding, you're avoiding, you're avoiding yourself. It's an avoidance. And so what's, what's, what the problem is, is that, um, is that our partners become an extension of that means. Mm-hmm. So an example of that would be, I want to go, I'm, I, I'm horny today. I feel I'm horny and I want to make love to my wife or I want to have sex with my wife or my girlfriend in this case. If, if that's my intention and I don't share that with her, but I'm going to do nice things throughout that day and night in order to get what I want. For example, I'm going to go and I'm going to get the ingredients for dinner. I'm going to make her dinner and I'm going to do all these nice things. But really, I'm just doing those in order to, you know, to get laid and to ejaculate. Then all of those nice things that I've done for her are a means to get my end that I have not shared with her, which is ultimately I'm just treating her as an extension of that. So, so that's really interesting that you should say that because I actually felt like this a lot. I, um, in my own marriage, I felt like I was just being used mm-hmm. yep. and even, even if the sex was great or whatever, it was like, I didn't feel like, like you really wanted to connect with me. Mm-hmm. It was more, it was more like, I'm just the recip- the receptacle of what you're trying to give. And I yep. was like, I'm just not, I'm not a receptacle. I mean, as women, and this is, the, this is the tricky part, I think, because, you know, men an, anatomically are built to give yep. and women are built to receive. Yep. And so, so how do men learn to do that without the hidden agenda? Um, without the means to an end, you know, because men are so much more like goal oriented and, um, you know, because of the hunting and the gathering, it's like they have to be focused and they have to use their logic and put, push their emotions to the side. And so this is, I, this is, I think why there's so much difficulty around this is because, um, you have to like basically transition into that other, more feminine aspect of yourself, um, yep. the emotionality and the, the body awareness and what's going on internally, like being present in the moment as opposed to just being goal oriented. Yeah. So I'll say two, two main things. The first one's very short, which is that you're not the first woman who I've heard that from. And I've also heard that from my own past partners. Uh-huh. And so I can totally empathize with that and understand that that is very much so a common theme that women feel that mm-hmm. their partners are, you know, using them and, and, or that they, even if the sex is wonderful, that there's an emptiness there. Um, and and even, the if, second, even if your partner loves you. 
yeah, even if the relationship's amazing and great and everything's yeah. wonderful. Yeah. Um, and the second thing is, is that I'm going to turn you on to a book that is going to blow your mind. Okay. More than your <laughs> <Yeah>. poem? <laughs> no, this is, this, is a whole, this is a whole other thing. Um, it'd be great, actually, if you could have her on the show. I mean, it would be wonderful to have her on the show. Um, I don't know her personally, but she's had a, a massive influence on my life. But the book is called um, Cupid's Poison Arrow. And... Cupid's effectively arrow yeah so so her name's marnia robinson and marnia and her husband are very unique in that he's a neuroscientist and she is princeton sort of uh anthropological studies kind of uh individual but she um researched all the ancient wisdom ancient uh religions and ancient sort of uh uh, histories of sexuality. She started with Taoist beliefs and she moved through Buddhism, Hinduism, Gnostic gospels, all of these different um, texts that are outside of the normal sort of realm of what you would see in the Bible or, you know, the Quran and that kind of thing. And what she was able to find is that in every single one of them, there is two distinct types of sex. There's sex for procreation which includes orgasm. And then there's sex for connection, which does not include orgasm. That would be Tantra. Tantra, but there is never orgasm for either partner. Uh And so what's interesting about this is that when you think about this philosophy of a means to an end, if, if you don't remove the orgasm out of your life, meaning through masturbation, meaning if you don't stop masturbating, like there's a, there's a lot, I don't know if you know this or not, but there's a, a huge amount of men's groups that are challenging men in November. It's called no, no fap November where you don't masturbate for 30 days and you don't watch pornography or anything just to see how it affects your energy and your, can, can any men do it? <laughs> absolutely. I mean, uh, it's it's absolutely remarkable what you learn about yourself in that process because I you, would imagine so. Yeah, yeah. And so um, my uh, experience and understanding this philosophy of like no means to an end, I was like, well, orgasm is always the end. If if that's still on the table with you and your partner or with you and yourself with masturbation, then you're always going to be chasing that. You're going to be chasing right. this chemical experience. And therefore, your partner is going to feel that your connection to them is to get something from them. But when you do that and you actually separate that out, what you find is is that every single thing is the end. Every time they touch you, every time they do something for you, every time you guys share and you kiss and you bond and you cuddle and you do those things, you don't feel that there's some expectation that you're going to be moving towards that end point where, you know, there's the sex and then, you know, and then you separate and you go your separate ways and then you feel like you're used. And it's an interesting thing because it's, I don't, I think it's more so for women, but men also kind of feel that way. And there's science behind it in her book. She talks about this, which is that your body puts off these chemicals that effectively um, make you apathetic to your partner. And, 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 and that's on both sides. The women have it, but then they end up like, primates they go and they mate with other men um and then the man he's he's done and he's satiated and so her point is is that we're not 
biologically wired to be monogamous beings. We're not. And the and if you are ejaculating in your master and you're ejaculating in, in your orgasming together, there is a there is a tipping point when you're not going to get that same level of connection out of that. And there's this this declining return on your uh, feeling. Yeah, the, <laughs> the feeling of love. And therefore your um uh yeah, we're headed towards these the inevitable, which is to break up because our genetics want us to procreate with as many people as we want. And so her philosophy is, is that the reason why you fight and you have all these horrible ups and downs after orgasm is because number one, it's an addiction, just like anything, like it's just as addictive as sugar or heroin in this case. Uh Uh And so you want more of it, but then you also have chemicals that are pushing you away. And so you get this push pull effect where you and your partner have a lot of um, roller coasters. And so having, you know, been in at least a dozen relationships over, over the course from when I was 15 to now that I'm 35, I have seen that roller coaster. I've been in that roller coaster. I've been on the receiving end, on the giving end of breakups. And so I've had a lot of experiences of moving in and out of relationship. And what I have noticed is that, yes, there is a constant theme, which is that sexuality and orgasm absolutely creates volatility and and the possibility of fighting and, and all that. And so what's cool about Caretza and her findings in this book that she's created is there's now people that have been doing this for like 10 or 20 years. They just have a little orgasm and they have the most amazing sex. They make love for hours at a time. There's even people that make love for like literally all day long. And wow. they can have these experiences and they still feel connected to their partner. They still want to be in their presence of their partner. They still go on lovely dates. They don't feel curious about the outside world and these other people and these other options. And so it's just such a fascinating new thing that's coming online. And her point is that she's like, I think society has tricked us. I think the, the, the oligarchy and the corporations and the religion knows that sex is the most addictive way and the, and the best way to control people. Mm-hmm. Because if you're addicted to orgasm and you're addicted to masturbation, you're addicted to sex, all of the other addictions that you have in her experience and in her opinion are just a byproduct of that. So the sugar and all these things. So, yeah. So for me, what I can say is, is eliminating um, that process is highly beneficial and, and I think that if anybody's out there, just experiment with it, you know, and, and try it on because it is, it's a whole other different way. There's, it's, it's a much, it's a heart opening experience. It's a spiritually connecting experience. It's a loving experience. Um, and you don't have the volatility afterwards. So it's a, it's a profound thing that's happening right now with, with this new information and, and all the findings. So, so how do you, how do you get men? to show up at the table of, I want more than just the orgasm. Yeah. Um, well, first and foremost, they have to accept the fact that what's working right now or what they're doing right now isn't working. Isn't working. And, yeah. Until they have a conscious acceptance that awareness, awareness, Hey, this isn't working then there wouldn't even be a degree of curiosity. Most men, when I bring this stuff up to them, they don't even have a place for it. They're not, they don't necessarily 
Like I'm, I'm, I'm fine. Porn is cool. It, you know, it helps me masturbate. It, you know, helps me alleviate my fantasies. It helps me whatever. Uh, It doesn't affect my partnership at all. Absolutely. There's so many men with that mentality and, um, and, and it's not, it's not cheating because I'm not touching anybody. Sure. Absolutely. And we're breaking the shell down. The way that I help men to understand that and to kind of break through that is to understand that, that pornography and the type of pornography that you, that you watch is the direct line into healing your own story and your own stuff. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's now information, which is so beautiful in and around that, which is to say that people are, one second, um, people are actually studying the effects that a particular type of pornography relates to a particular type of trauma that they experience in their, in their childhood. So for yeah. example, my, um, my, uh, friend Jay who lives in Seattle, he studied over something like close to 3,500 men, um, actually men and women, but primarily men. And what he found was that these men who were all addicted to pornography, they would tell Jay in these interviews, um, cause he's, he's a counselor. They would tell him what type of pornography that they consumed and what he was able to extrapolate is is that uh, men that had pornography addictions that were in alignment with uh, younger or feminine very feminine or subservient races where the woman was very um, you know lesser than often had very uh, abusive and or very uh, uh, punitive and authoritarian father figures mm-hmm. whereas if they had pornography that was um, more so in the realm of, um, you know, like mother kind of stuff, or the women were a lot larger or older than them. Often they had mothers who confided in them and or had issues with um, a little bit of too much codependency and enmeshment with the mother figure. Mm -hmm. And so the beauty of this is understanding that pornography can actually be the greatest opportunity for you to heal your story if you can step back from it and not be fused with eroticizing your own wounding. And you can look at it objectively and you can say, what's going on here on the screen? Like, is there power over? Is there power under? Is there a lot of people? Like, what's going on in the chaos of the thing that arouses me? that excites me, that creates excitation in my body. And now can I step back from that and go, Oh, wow. Okay. I can see how that was in relationship to this thing that I had to be for this person or in this situation within my family system. And now I can go and I can work with a therapist and I can actually get in there and I can kind of pull the pieces apart from this and start to work with the the reason why I would be drawn to that particular type of of pornography and why I'm fused with eroticizing that particular wounding. And that extends not only into pornography, but also into the partners that you choose and the partners that you pick and, and their stories and what they've had happen to them are in direct connection to the ways in which you, your story and what your story tells about yourself. So it's, it's a fascinating journey. It's not easy, but it's, it's, it's absolutely worth going on that if there is a struggle. And one of the things that a lot of women um, don't know, but like women pornography consumers is on the rise. It's, mm-hmm. it's growing faster than men right now. And so I think it's a, 
this isn't just a, a, a male problem. This is, this is for all sexes. And, and when I work with a client, I, th- th- there's no shame in that. Like the, you're, you're moving directly into speaking to them about the type of pornography that is, is, uh, attractive to them and is erotic, erotic to them because from there, there's an entry point into a storyline that can really be, uh, can be, um, kind of, uh, shedded so that there can be some, some, some healing in that, in that space for them. Well, I've, I've always felt that you find partners that, um, trigger, you know, trigger you in the best way of areas that you need to heal. Right. Mm-hmm. So yep. for, in, for instance, um, I've talked about this before a little bit, and I think it's sort of a common theme with women is this feeling of abandonment by a man, whether yep. it's your dad or, a, you know, relative or a teacher or a boyfriend or whatever. It's, um, it's this aspect of yourself where you, feel safe and protected and cared for and nurtured, um, you know, in a, in a strong way. And this was something that I struggled with in my own marriage because this was a guy who was very physically strong, um, you know, capable, like, uh, safe and safe and secure and, and that he could be a good container, but for whatever reason we triggered each other that he would end up turning away and I would feel this sense of abandonment. And so, and so, you know, this, this was something that I've have to learn how to take care of myself. You know, where am I abandoning myself? Where do I need to show up more fully for myself? Where do I need to be my own sense of safety and security and protection? Um, So I think that this speaks a lot to all of these sort of common issues that we have and facing ourselves. What am I feeling right now? What is this experience bringing up for me? Where am I feeling abandoned? You know, what do I need to do? I mean, this is so fascinating. This is so, so fascinating. And how do you share this with your partner? Um, you know, first off, it's about really self-examination but if you're unable to figure it out on your own, I think it's a really beautiful thing if you can find a partner who can bear witness to you and be able to help you process what's going on internally. Yeah, absolutely. Super crucial. Very, very important. Um, yeah, the the part that kind of um, landed with me as you were talking about the withdrawal, you know, like why do men... Uh, withdraw. I, I actually think that it's not necessarily a gender thing. I think that can also be women withdrawing. I yes, think that that's true. It's it's attachment styles. You know, the attachment styles are something that I'm very fascinated with. Are you familiar with yep. Stan, Stan Tatkin's work? Have you ever heard of Stan? Mm, no, I don't think so. He's he's a fascinating man. He's got a TED talk. But my therapist trains with him, and what's really really interesting is. He's classified insecure attachment, secure attachment, and right. avoidant. Avoidant. Mm-hmm. Like island wave and anchor, which has got these really cool terms for it. And that is like really fascinating because he talks about the neuroscience of attachment theory, which is really, really trippy in my opinion. Um, You're a science geek too. I know. I love it. I love that. Stuff. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think that the, 
the turning away, you know, how to penetrate the stone wall, right. In the relationship is such a difficult thing to, to navigate. Cause sometimes people just, they don't understand that they're bricked off and that, mm-hmm. they, that they need to remove a boundary in order for them to actually have that relational reciprocity. So yeah, that's a tough one for sure. And so, so with addiction and pornography, I mean, as, as you were talking about it, I was thinking like, oh, okay, so it's good to, um, you know, go view pornography so that I can find out more about what's inside of me. But where's, where's, the, ba- where's the boundary, you know, in a relationship? Um, because this was something that I struggled with mm-hmm. saying, you know, whatever you're seeing, First of all, because, um, you know, a, a lot of women in pornography are very objectified, dehumanized, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, I could never, as a normal woman, live up to anything that you'll see on the screen. Because on the screen, it's just fantasy. It's like going to a, a movie, right? It's not real. And yeah. so, you know, how do you, how do you navigate the difference between my desires, my fantasies, you know, where do I, where do I want to feel more powerful? Where do I want to feel more submissive and be taken care of? I mean, all of these things to navigate, how do you, how do you break free of that addiction and come to this place of, um, I don't know what I want to call it. I mean, I want to say normalcy, but I I don't know if that's the right word. Yeah. I find that it's, nearly impossible to do it on your own. Uh-huh. I don't, I don't mean that. I don't mean that it is impossible because certainly there are people that can do anything on their own. But what I will say is, is if you really, if, if a man's really struggling with it, um, getting help is super, super important because it, there's so much shame and then the pornography creates more, and so then what more, ends up shame, more shame, more hiding, more wearing the mask and pretending. Yeah. So it basically just, it sort of solidifies on itself and then it grows and it gets bigger and bigger. And so the only real way to penetrate that is, is to get somebody that has stepped out of that and who can empathize with that to help you to navigate the part of you that is that self-critic and that's that self-shamer so that you can actually um, move through that. And I don't think that that's a very easy journey alone. There mm-hmm. are some things that you can do though, that are helpful. So things that I've learned, um, um, conscious rants, you're just standing up and you feel a lot of energy. You want to masturbate, but you just let it go. You just start yelling, screaming, stomping, moving, mm-hmm. and you move the energy out of the body because often there's just a lot of anxiety that we're carrying and then we just want to go numb it away or soothe ourselves. And so we need to get that out. So that can be a much more um, violent, active, very sort of, and, and you really, in those situations, you want to permit yourself to be completely unfiltered. You know, you say in whatever you want to say, you do it in a private space, but you really release all that energy out of your body so that you're not carrying it. But try not to punch walls. Yeah, don't punch anything. Don't break your hand. That can be bad. Yeah. <laughs> and then the other option is, is um, a much more gentle, more um, internal sort of meditative space, which is 
you feel the urge come up, let's say you're lying in bed, you just, you just lie there and you just lie there and you allow yourself to not grab your phone or your computer, but the fantasies, you just let them roll in your mind. And you just, just kind of like a meditation where, you know, you're witnessing, Observe. you just let it fly by you. Yeah. And, you, and, and often, you know, you'll get an erection, you'll have arousal, it'll go back down, you'll have arousal, it'll go back down. And you just breathe through the process. And you develop a relationship with watching these images go by and go by and go by. And then finally, after some period, you'll start to, it'll start to like go down and then you'll be able to rest and go to sleep. That's a very difficult thing to learn for men that don't meditate or that don't have some sort of a body practice or a yogic practice uh-huh. because they don't understand how to dissipate the energy out of their body with their breath. How but about just that, go for a run or a surf? Yeah. I mean, those things can work, but again, I think that we can spiritually bypass those emotions and those shames with all kinds of things. It can be exercise, eating, it can be meditation too. I mean, there's a lot of people that sit on their meditation cushion and they're raging ball of anger inside and they come out of it and they, they act like very automatonic people. They're just walking around going eh, like i'm fine and you're like dude you are dude you're, you're so not fine <laughs> you're a mess inside i can see it all of your face <laughs> yeah and, and and i lived in asia for a long time so i know that i mean i did i sat on my rage for a large like 10 years of my life before i was really able to get in there and move some of it out so i think that those are important things for people to be aware of that energy has to move if it's if it's arising and you do need to have some skills in order to get that stuff out of the body and, and, you know, and get that stuff out productively as opposed to, um, yeah, the alternative, which is to take it deeper into a shame space. So how did you know three years ago when you were finally free? Um, are you talking about the actual moment of quitting and like where I was like, I'm yeah, just- where you, you know, where you were just like, I, why am I doing this? Yeah, I mean, I think that for me, it took a cognitive connect watching and connecting that to my own my own story. And once I could connect the story and my erotic charge, uh-huh. it was as if the whole thing shifted for me. Because like then I was stopped, like, stopped having power over you. It just didn't have power over me. And, and not only within the pornography, but also the type of women that I was dating and things. And so I was just like, oh, wow, there's a connection here that I wasn't aware of. But once you can connect those dots, then that you feel way more empowered to be able to quit because you know you're, you're not needing to eroticize a wound. Because if you're just like using your wounding to get off, that's, that's, self-harm that's not self-love that doesn't feel good uh-huh. so that's a i think that's the most important part is, is you have to have somebody to lead you into enough about your repressed story in order for you to really excavate it and metabolize it so that you can outgrow that addiction and so how different. how has that affected your relationship now well i was on that journey for two years before her and i met and so mm-hmm every relationship that I had had between my current partner and when I quit was getting substantially better. I could sense that every relationship was, it wasn't quite there, but it was 
bet it was more there was more stability there was more safe and secure attachment there was less volatility there was there was better communication and so it was just a progression over time um but as it relates to my relationship with my partner like today i would just say that um it's complete and open honesty and transparency. I mean, what more beautiful way to be in a, a relationship where there's nothing to hide, where you can just be open and honest, where there isn't this looming thing that creates that disconnect between you and your partner. And that is the foundation of what can be longevity as opposed to when there is that, eh, we're not going to talk about that thing right there, but I know you're doing it and you know, I'm doing it. And, and what about the times when you're still triggered and you're still trying to manage your feelings of anxiety or sadness or hurt or frustration or depression or, you know, overwhelm or powerlessness? Yeah, I mean, it still arises. I mean, that's the one thing that I think is important. Just because you stop or outgrow pornography and you're a month out or you're six months out or you're three years out, it those things are so deeply rooted in your system as boys, we soothed ourselves with masturbation. Like they're so deeply ingrained that you have to accept deep within yourself that this is going to be something that you are going to be working with your whole life. Mm-hmm. It's not this thing that just, it stops. Okay. I beat it. It's over. I always say I wave my magic wand and poof. <laughs> It's yeah. changed. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not like that. And certainly in certain circumstances where my partner and I, for example, if we're disconnected or we have a fight or we have issues, absolutely, you know, I would have that same, uh, the charge, the charge comes back, right? And so then I go back to my skills and my things that I do. First and foremost, I obviously always know that I have therapists. I have a huge group of men that I can call you know, I can just text a friend, Hey, I'm having the urge to do this. Like I need a chat. I mean, people don't do that, but they can. And then the other thing is just returning to the breath. Um, sometimes I go hook myself in the ocean. If I need to get energy out, there's all kinds of ways that I have learned to do it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's worth it. And once you're free, you're free in every aspect of the journey. I mean, that, that is, that's what we don't realize that, that we are procreative animalistic beings just as much as we are spiritual beings. I mean, yes, we're probably more of a spirit having a physical experience, but mm-hmm. we're still very much animalistic. And so I think that that's the beauty of, of our consciousness and our spiritual capacity, which is to overcome the animalistic desires. And when you outgrow your sexual unwanted sexual desires, everything in your life begins to unfold and everything gets better financially, relationally, you know, everything health wise. It's just, everything is up from there. Well, that's you changing your whole energy, you know? So, so the energy that you change putting out into the world, you know, that like attracts like, so then it of course comes back to you in a more positive and helpful and constructive and holistic and integrative and authentic way. Yeah. Yeah. And so how, um, because I, while, while you were saying that I was, I was thinking about, so are you saying I should never masturbate? Like I should never masturbate. Like it's not okay. Like, you know what? I am kind of horny and she's not here or she doesn't want to, or, uh, or he, you know, I'm not, saying uh whatever partner you choose um but 
I mean, is there, is there a time and a place for just self-pleasure? Absolutely. And what I will say about that is, is that there's a lot of things that I've learned on the journey, which is first and foremost, going back to what I said earlier, your, your, you know, your genitals are not the only actual intimate zone of your body. You know, going back to your interview with Charlotte recently right. about your, the touch. your own self-massage, your own touch. You know, one thing that I mentioned and the things that I would like to talk about is just, and I'll, I'll briefly touch on it, but most of, most men were an experience of touch isolation. What you guys were talking yeah. about the other day, I was like, that's touch isolation. Yeah. That's often where we feel that we need to soothe ourselves. And so the opportunity to soothe yourself um, can be, can be great if you are not eroticizing the touch, if you start with that. And then if it leads to that, great. But I would say that masturbation is one of those things for me where, um, and what I would you know recommend to people if they're um, moving in this direction is just that it's, if you're connected to yourself and you're not disconnected, because if you're disconnected, masturbation will never connect you to yourself. It doesn't, no. it doesn't work like that. Right. So for me, and, and also you don't take the time, you're not loving with yourself. You're, you're not, you're, you're just feeling anxious and you're just going to try to get it to go away. You're just trying to numb yourself. Precisely. And so avoid. And it's avoidance. Absolutely. So I think that if you are feeling connected, you're feeling great, you're, you know, and you, you make a ritual out of it, you make an actual experience out of it. It can be a really beautiful practice of self-love and self-care. And so I am all for that. I think it's, it's, it's wonderful. I think that, you know, it, and, and what I will say about that is, is as a, a man, because I can't speak on behalf of women, but as a man outgrows their pornography addictions, they don't, they can actually have a masturbatory experience of pleasure in themselves without imagery in the mind, mm-hmm. without any necessity of having an image that they need to eroticize or fantasy at all. And that becomes this opportunity where you are very deeply connected to your body and your, and your, and your psyche and your spirit and where you're, you know, you're here, you're not out there trying to create some story or going back in time, thinking about a past lover, for example, because that's often what men do and what I used to do as well. And, and uh-huh. so I've you know, released that as well, because on a spiritual plane, there's an energetic tether between myself and those past partners. So I don't feel that it's kind and loving and spiritually in alignment with myself and my own value systems to move into an erotic experience with somebody that, that is a past partner. That's not okay for me. Uh-huh. Well, and, 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 well, and, I, and, and I think and I, I said I, I, that with Charlotte about, you know, I think that a lot of times men use sex as a way to get their nurturing touch, met, touch needs met, you know, and yeah. so Instead of saying, you know, hey, honey, I need to be cared for. Can I just lay my head on your chest as a man? You know, can I lay my head on your chest? And for her to say, yeah, come here. I've got you. You know, that sort of that mothering, nurturing energy that everyone needs. You know, I mean, you needed it when you were a baby. You don't outgrow it. We still want that. And um and so, you know, that's a big, that's a big piece. That's one of the things that I really have tried to do with my sons, especially is, you know, touch. Everybody wants to be touched. I mean, my kids are like, mom, could you stop 
hugging people and touching people on their shoulders and their arms and their, you know, <laughs> it's like, I know how much it means to me. It's just hold my hand. Just, you know, just that little bit of somebody saying, I, I'm caring for you. I notice you. I see you. I, I acknowledge you. I value you. Um, we all want that. And I think a lot of those dynamics come into sex and we use sex as a substitute for those other sort of base needs. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. So yeah, we just need to be able to name it. We need to be able to name I or I'm really feeling disconnected from us and I would like to reconnect and what that connection would look like would be for us to have some physicality, some physical touch this evening. Just naming that and saying that loud can be very vulnerable, but it's such an important skill and language that we must learn in the journey of, of being in a monogamous journey or, in, or otherwise just in, in terms of friendships. Well, and I, and I so, think what you were saying about, um, you know, about removing the orgasm and that each um, point is a destination. It's like the journey is the destination. There's, you know, the destination is way, way beyond our scope and imagination. And so just like coming back to just being present in every moment of whatever you're doing and acknowledging what's going on in your body, acknowledging um, the, the thoughts and emotions that you're having, that you're experiencing, that so many people are afraid to name, they don't yeah. understand. And so it's really about that, that internal self-reflection. And that's why I think your work is so important because you're really getting men to look within instead of looking outside themselves. So how can women best support men in this journey? Yeah, I think that that's a great question. And I was going to, I was making sure that you were going to ask me that. Cause I think that how, how does a woman bridge that gap? If they mm -hmm. either suspect their partner is watching porn, they know their partner is watching porn. There's an open acceptance that they're watching porn, but it bothers them, but they're not willing to, to say, Hey, this isn't, this doesn't feel good to me. Mm -hmm. Right. So, I'm going to just shoot from the hip here because I can only say what I would have liked to have received uh -huh. in that state. Um, I think first and foremost, it, it depends upon the situation because I just named three different situations, whether they know or they don't know or whatever they suspect, or there's an agreement that it's an okay thing. So I think in every circumstance, it's going to be a little bit different, but I think that first and foremost, um, a woman has to get, she has to be aware enough of her own boundaries around the topic to say, Hey, that doesn't feel good to me. And that's the first step. I think it's just to acknowledge that, Hey, I suspect this, or I know this or, or whatever that doesn't feel good. And I don't feel whatever safe, secure, trusting, beautiful, loved, whatever it is, whatever is true for her. Honored. For, honored. Respected. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that list can be a very long 
list of things, but I think, you know, first and foremost, that needs to be, to, to be written out. And then I think, um, it would be important for her to approach her partner in a curious way, as opposed to judging um, and blaming and criticizing. Absolutely. absolutely. Just like a therapist would, just like I would coaching a client. The reality is, is that, that this has been normalized and it's been a part of his life likely way before you ever were a part of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, most little boys when all of I, when I talked to them were exposed to pornography around eight years old. Wow. Most of my friends saw their first playboy magazines when they were around eight or nine years old. And then that just carried over into then when they started to masturbate at 11, 12, and then they had access to these. And so they the foundation of their entire sexuality is rooted in this particular way of looking at things, right? So it's super important that a curious tonality is created when a woman realizes that there is a boundary there that she doesn't feel X, Y, Z. And then from there, um, it's, it's, you know, just scheduling the opportunity to speak to them, you know, and just saying, Hey, I, I want to speak to you about something that's important. And then, and then settling down and really just saying, Hey, I, I suspect, or I know, or, um, I know I said it was okay, but I'm realizing that it's not okay. Um, that you're consuming pornography and I'm just curious, you know, what's going on? Why is it that you're, why is it that you're doing that? Mm -hmm. And, um, and what is it that, that, you know, is the reason for that? And I think that if the, the, the love and the acceptance is there, there can be an opportunity for a man to, to feel his defenses fly up, but then come back into himself and then hopefully admit and take ownership of that. And that can begin the journey of the reparation process, which often does entail needing a third party relationship counselor or therapist to help with, with that. Um, but regardless, it is certainly the responsibility because a man who's doing that in secrecy, like likely is not, they don't know that they need to change that. And so there is a degree of responsibility not necessarily implied. Like I don't, it's not that it's like that I feel that it's a woman's job to call a man forth, but I'm saying it's an opportunity for a woman to call a man forth if it's bothering her. Mm-hmm. And within that opportunity can be a lot of healing and love that can come. And, and there can be definitely some break, but then coming back together in a much better place after the healing process has begun. And then a man is X number of months or years out of that they can really come back together and it can be a beautiful thing. And so, yeah, I encourage every couple that's out there struggling with that to, to, um, to have those hard conversations and, and do that work. It's worth um, it. You did say something um, in one of your interviews about the premise, which I think applies to all of us is to love them without needing to change them. Yeah, it's a practice that I still struggle with, but yes, I mean I think that's a lifetime journey as well. Yeah, yeah, both and I with ourselves good. and towards yeah. other. And the way in which I articulate that is, is I know that I have my own shadows and my own you know issues and my own deficiencies in being a loving partner, and so I know that 
I am, those are all here with me. They're all here. And so when I think about it, it's like, I need to extend my boundaries to include my partner's shadows. And I would ask that you would also extend your boundaries to include mine as well. And I think that when we do that, then we're not just coming up against those, those shadows and those boundaries. And we're saying, yeah, we do need to love without changing them. But simultaneously, when we do love, we, we have to accept that we're taking all those on too. Mm -hmm. So this, so this segues into my last question that I usually ask my guests Mm -hmm. is how do you define real love? Real love. Real love. (laughs) I love the question. It's a, it's a philosophical one for me. I I would say, I would say real love is any type of love, whether friendship or partnership, where um, you're permitted to be, you permit yourself and you permit them and they permit themselves and they permit you uh, to be who you are in your evolving state in authenticity and in complete openness. I think that that's where real love actually exists in relationship. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is few and far between in our society. But I think that there's more and more um, people that are finding their, their equal and they are able to, to share the nitty gritty and the dirty and all of the shit, the, that hidden. They, the hidden and all of that stuff. And I think that when you have that degree of transparency in a relationship, real love is, is possible. It's yeah. beautiful. Um, how do people get in touch with you, Tyson, to work with you and find out more about your work? Sure, sure. Yeah. So I don't have a personal uh, website yet for my coaching practice. I'm in the process of building that. So I don't even have any landing page or anything for people to get in touch with me. But they can, sure, no worries. They can find me on Facebook, which is just Tyson Adams, T Y S O N A D A M S. And then or they can email me, which is adams.tyson at gmail.com. So, um, yeah. so there's nothing really to follow, but there's no, that's a way okay. to contact me if they want. There's yeah. a way to find you because you are doing such beautiful work. I mean, it's obvious. Uh, and I said this to Mark too, when I talked to him, Mark, you do, you know, your men's groups with, um, but it's obvious that you have done so much, internal work on yourself and recognizing and dealing with your own senses of shame or guilt or judgment or whatever. And, and because even, you know, your energy that you put out is so grounded and balanced. And, you know, that's another one of the things that I really appreciated hearing from you on, on this other podcast that I listened to is you know, really trying to integrate, you know, we all have these masculine and feminine aspects of ourself. And instead of trying to hide or pretend that parts of us don't exist, it's yeah. they're all a part of our humanity. And yeah. so let's embrace them and honor them and respect them and learn from them so yeah. that we can come to this place of the real love that you were talking about, where we fully accept ourselves and we can be all of who we are and 
we and and we can be loved. Yeah. Yeah. No, thank you for saying that and reflecting that back to me. I appreciate that. Yeah. So um, I know <laughs> lots of people are going to want to hear this. And I'm, of course, I'm going to be sharing with lots of people. <laughs> uh, yeah. You, I'm like, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much for being here with me. Um, it's mm-hmm. really been an honor and a privilege to talk to you. So thank you for being here. Yeah, um, thank you as well for doing what you do. Appreciate yeah, it. Thank you. So um, for all of, for all of our listeners, you know, if you like this podcast, which how can you not? I mean, this is all like, I, like I told you the other night, like I'm a trigger. <laughs> You're a trigger. Like we ask the questions and we say the things that people go, Oh crap. Or, Oh my gosh, I didn't think about that. Or, you know, like all you have all these self realizations, right? Um, so when you hear this podcast and you appreciate, you know, please subscribe to the wake up to real love podcast and share with people, uh, you know, because both Tyson and I are here to help raise the consciousness of the planet, help people come to love and accept themselves as they are. I mean, the, the thing that I say uh, at the end of every podcast is the most important relationship you'll ever have is the one you have with yourself. So when you come to this place of love and acceptance for yourself, then you're able to extend that to other people as well. So uh, for anybody that wants more information about me and uh, the work that I do in helping people overcome heartbreak and betrayal and creating more authentic and real love in their life, you can find me on Facebook and Instagram at The Awakening with Dawn. And my website's under construction too, coming soon. <laughs> uh, so... Tyson, thank you so much for being here. I would love to have you on more, more, more. I mean, I, I think these conversations are so important for both men and women to hear so that we can open up, you know, it's okay to talk about this stuff. We're all experiencing similar things. We all want to grow and evolve and transform into, you know, the best versions of ourself and uh, in both our humanity and our divinity. Yes, yes. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for coming, Tyson. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you, Don. All right. So everybody, every day, wake up to more and more real love. Take care and we'll see you next time. Bye.